Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Okay, before we begin uh, today's program, which is, of course, an extra special edition of the program, uh, I have the, the, the people who are behind the scenes who make it possible uh, gathered here. Uh, for we've, we've had a little pre-show meeting, and uh, they all wanted to, uh, to say something. So uh, let's just go around quickly. Uh, Adrian, who engineers uh, the program from here in London. Thank you. Um, hello, um, Mr. Shearer. Mm-hmm. I just want to say um, what an honor it is and a blessing as well. Uh, that you allow me to uh, direct my energies and my my talents towards helping uh, this amazing, terrific show um, go on the air every week. Um, I'm just inspired by the task ahead of us every uh, week this time, and I just want to do my best and uh, just want want to say how appreciative I am of the opportunity and uh, I look forward to this one and every one that we do and then I, I miss the ones that, we do, that I don't get to do uh, so it just is a, is a privilege and a blessing as I say yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, Jenny uh, is on the line from New Orleans it was sitting in the meeting uh, via the line I wanted to uh, say some words Jenny I'm just overwhelmed every uh, every chance I get to work with uh, this man. Um, it is an amazing opportunity for all of us to uh, do our best work and be inspired by um, how special this moment is and to just bask in uh, the excellence that occurs here. And uh, yes, it's a privilege, but it's also a, a great humbling experience and uh i i, I just want to express my thanks for that okay thank you jenny um doug who's over in the uh, we don't mention his name on the air but he's uh back in the uh, technical operations uh room normally and he's he's been sitting in on the meeting doug you wanted to say something it's it's just so rare that you get to uh, work with uh, with somebody of this uh caliber and uh it is a, a great great uh joy uh in my life on a regular basis to just make sure you look at the meters and and just be amazed by uh how steady how just rock solid steady they are during this broadcast uh and, and you know a lot of people don't even <laughs> know what that means mm-hmm. but uh it, to me it's just it is the, one of the greatest professional joys uh, and privileges that I've had. So uh, I know that uh, we're, we're eating up valuable broadcasting oh, time here. Okay. So I just, but I, I did want to get this off my chest because I've been thinking it for many months. And so there it is. All right. Thank you, Doug. Okay. Well, thank you all. Uh, really appreciate the, uh, I think above everything else, the spontaneity. So uh, nothing left to say except... Thank you all very much. I am humbled by your support and uh, your enthusiasm for this project going forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, hello, welcome to the show. Do we okay, just turn in the script. Uh, pages, thanks. Uh, thank you. 
From London, England, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this week's edition of the show. Thank you, everybody, again. That warms the cockles of uh, somewhere deep inside. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well... 
some sad news. McDonald's has ceased being an Olympic sponsor. That's right. Olympic athletes will no longer be powered in their performance by um, McSomethings. The breakup is a huge shift for McDonald's. It's been a U.S. Olympic Committee sponsor since 70, 1976 and a partner with the IOC since 1996. Both of those relationships are ending effective immediately. Financial terms of the separation were not disclosed. It'd be a good template for uh, how Britain gets out of the EU. In today's rapidly evolving business landscape, we understand that McDonald's is looking to focus on different business priorities, said the Managing Director of I, uh, I, International Olympic Committee Television and Marketing Services. For this reason, we've mutually agreed with McDonald's to part ways. I'd like to thank our friends at McDonald's on behalf of the IOC for the commitment the company has shown to the Olympic movement over many decades, unquote. McDonald's has been serving food to athletes, the media, and others at the Olympics since 1996. Uh, the connection began when it airlifted hamburgers to U.S. athletes at the 1968 Winter Games in Grenoble, they were apparently craving the tastes of home. They were only in France. There's no food there. McDonald's will operate the Olympic Park and Olympic Village restaurants one last time at the upcoming Winter Games in Pyeongchang. McDonald's remains the sponsor of the 2018 Winter Games with rights to do marketing in Korea only. The IOC has not yet named a replacement sponsor in retail food operations, said it has no immediate plans to do so. Hey, athletes, bring your own food. It's the latest sponsor to walk away from the Olympics. Earlier this year, Budweiser ended its sponsorship of the U.S. Olympic team after 32 years. Citibank, Hilton, TD Ameritrade, and AT&T have also exited their Olympic sponsorships in recent months. Please give. The uh, Australian newspaper The Age takes a look at what's the heritage of the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. It is not a... Um, pretty picture. Nine months after the games, they report violent crime is surging. The bay is as polluted as ever, and the arenas are padlocked and deteriorating. New transport networks are poorly integrated and underused. The favelas, the um, lean-tos and shanties occupied by, uh, oddly enough, the uh, low-income people, remain neglected by the state. Gee, thank goodness that doesn't happen in, let's say, London. Lacking the most basic modern conveniences, at best the Olympics represent a criminal waste of a prosperous decade. The gulf between promises made and change delivered is galling. Quote, what was the true legacy? Lots of money for developers and construction companies and for their colonels, the politicians, says the community leader in Rio's oldest favela. Where are the basic services in the city? Securities in chaos. The idea of social development has been abandoned. The only legacy is the millions that were pocketed. Last, unquote, the community leader. Last month, the federal prosecutor delivered a scathing report on the event's aftermath. There was no planning, said Leandro Mitidieri. The venues are white elephants today. But elephants are good, right? It's the Olympics, though. It's a movement! And we all need one. Every day.
a box lunch Olympics. Maybe maybe not a bad idea. Ladies and gentlemen, our uh, information on our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. The decision by Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, and Egypt to suspend diplomatic relations with Qatar, Qatar uh, earlier this month has caused shockwaves throughout the region, leaving law firms scrambling to assess the implications for their offices in Qatar and their clients, according to Legal Week. Yes, I do read the trades for you. Tensions are high, and most of the partners who spoke to Legal Week were unwilling to be named, highlighting the sensitivity of the situation. The United Arab Emirates has made it a criminal offense to publicly express sympathy for Qatar or to criticize the United Arab Emirates' approach to the crisis. Those are our friends. We love, we, we love freedom together. And the human rights and the thing. If only the Cubans could. And following the dollar just for a moment, the next crisis, maybe, subprime auto bonds issued in 2015. This is subprime auto loans sliced and diced into securities and sold off as, you know, AAA kind of investments. Sound familiar? They're one, by one key measure on track to become the worst performing in the history of car loan securitizations, Bloomberg reports. This group of securities is experiencing cumulative net losses at a rate projected to reach 15%, higher even than for bonds in 2007. Remember what happened right after that. Uh, one of the things that's going on in the subprime auto loan market is liar's loans. Yeah. Don't have to have income, don't have to prove it, don't have to prove anything. But that, you know, nothing wrong happened the last time that that stuff went down. Did it? I forget. I, I, I'm prone to forgetting. But now, ladies and gentlemen, the program continues as I read the trades for you. Because it's always a surprise when the obvious happens. This is from Advertising Age. The Bible. The Bhagavad Gita of the advertising industry. Celebrities are lying to you. I'll, I'll read it to you. Instagram has helped nourish a crop of Internet celebrities popular for their lifestyle photographs and rich thanks to their sponsors. Now the mobile app is giving them a more prominent way to disclose when they're being paid to increase transparency. The company will let users who work with sponsors decide to tag a brand within their posts. If the brand confirms the relationship, the post will be marked as an ad with a paid partnership tag at the top. The product is being tested now with a handful of businesses and celebrities will be rolled out more widely if successful. Our goal is to get a ton of feedback, said Charles Porch, head of global creative programs at Instagram. It's all about transparency within the community. Unquote. That follows months of uncertainty and criticism from the Federal Trade Commission, which sent out a warning letter to dozens of so-called Instagram influencers earlier this year. 
The FTC said disclosure practices weren't making it clear when a company was paying the influencers to peddle a product. They're supposed to signal when they're being paid via hashtags on their posts that say ad, uh, hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored, but many use less obvious tags like hashtag SP or fail to note the relationship at all. Out of concern, they'll appear inauthentic. You don't want to appear inauthentic when you're flogging merchandise, do you? Really? Last year, Warner Brothers settled with the FTC over a charge that it paid video game influencers thousands of dollars to spread positive reviews of a game, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. Oh, I like that one. Without disclosure, department store Lord and Taylor also settled with the commission after paying 50 fashion influencers to wear the same paisley dress in their posts without noting they were paid. Now, that's ironic because I wore the same and I wasn't. Instagram said it hasn't collaborated with the FTC on whether the new option will satisfy the agency's disclosure guidelines. This is actually something we've done internally on our own, said Porch. Every creator should defer to their local authority that gives best practices depending on rules in their country, he said. Brands will have incentive to use the tool because by allowing themselves to be tagged in a post, they'll get access to data about how popular it is. They'll do anything for data, won't they? At the upcoming VidCon conference in Anaheim, putting the con back in VidCon, Instagram will lure influencers with an exclusive lounge for creators to eat free food, <laughs> charge their phones. Nothing like, you know, I've, I've been at parties in Southern California where the, some of the richest people I know stood in line for free food. It's amazing. On the exhibit floor, the company is exto- installing giant swings for conference goers, hoping to entice them to shoot videos to post on their accounts. It's also disruptive. This is what excites me. But I, you know, I always get excited when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now let us try Tales of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Always trying. Federal judges handed a lifeline to efforts to block the Dakota Access Pipeline in the United States, ruling that the Army Corps of Engineers didn't adequately consider the possible impacts of an oil spill where the pipeline passes under the Missouri River. Well, who would think that that could... The U.S. District Judge said in a 91-page decision, the Corps failed to take into account how a spill might affect fishing rights, hunting rights, or environmental justice, or the degree to which the pipeline's effects are likely to be highly controversial. Unquote. Corps' position is, everybody likes a spill. No. The judge said the Army must redo its environmental analysis in certain sections, and he'll consider later whether the pipeline must halt operations in the meantime. But there's, but wait, there's more. Also in Missouri, see, I said Missouri this time, floodwaters are finally receding in suburban towns around St. Louis, the second major flooding event in 16 months. Longtime residents of Fenton, Mo, don't remember severe flooding like this, especially less than two years apart. Uh, the levee held upstream, and that may have spelled disaster for towns like Fenton downstream. The water's going to go somewhere, says uh, Dr. Bob Chris, 
at uh, Washington University. He says the Army Corps of Engineers built the levee too tall, which could cause an extra few fleet of feet of flooding in other places since the water can't go to the floodplain as easily. The Army Corps is adamant it followed regulations when building the levee and denies any allegations it's responsible for more severe strat- uh, flooding downstream. Because that couldn't possibly happen. But wait, there's more. Over the next 40 years, the United States Army Corps of uh, of Engineers plans to dredge more than 10 million cubic yards of sand um, and put it on a neighboring farm in Kellogg, Minnesota. It's uh, the Army Corps' job to maintain the 9-feet-deep, 300-foot-wide navigational channel that allows barges to go up and down the Mississippi River. Commodities valued at nearly $220 million flowed through this area called Pool 4 in 2015, according to the Corps. The pool faces a unique challenge, the Chippewa River. Around half of all sand and silt the Army dredges out of the upper Mississippi River every year comes from Pool 4 because loads of sandy sediment, you remember him from the uh, daytime TV show, rushing down the Chippewa River hits the slow-moving Mississippi. The Chippewa dumps that sand into the Mississippi, Filling up the navigational channel, the Corps keeps constantly digging the sand to keep the shipping lane open. Of the quarter million cubic yards of, uh, yards of sand the Corps dredges out of the area each year, on average, 106,000 cubic yards come from the one-half-mile-long stretch where the channel passes by the mouth of the Chippewa. The Corps says it's running out of places to put all the sand it digs up. Because Pool 4 produces sand faster than anyone can use it, U.S. Army Corps crews simply pile it up. Now their old abandoned quarries where they pile it up are getting full, so they need an adjacent farm, despite the farmers' protest to pile up the dredged sand. Now, that would seem interesting, perhaps peculiar, but no more uh, unless one had read in around the same time frame this from The New Yorker. Sand covers a David Owen a really fine writer. Sand covers so much of the Earth's surface that shipping it across borders, even uncontested ones, seems extreme. But sand isn't just sand. In the industrial world, it's aggregate, a category that includes gravel, crushed stone, and various recycled materials. Aggregate is the world's second most heavily exploited natural resource after water. For many uses, the right kind is scarce or inaccessible. In 2014, the UN Environment Program published a report titled, Sand, Rarer Than One Thinks. It concluded the mining of sand and gravel greatly exceeds natural renewal rates and that the amount being mined is increasing exponentially, mainly as a result of rapid economic growth in Asia. A Swiss scientist told the BBC last May China's swift development had consumed more sand in the previous four years than the U.S. used in the past century. In India, commercially useful sand is now so scarce that markets for it are dominated by sand mafias, criminal enterprises that sell material taken illegally from rivers and other sources, sometimes killing to safeguard their deposits. In the U.S., the fastest-growing uses include the fortification of shorelines eroded by rising sea levels. Yeah, the Army Corps could use it for that. And more and more powerful ocean storms are, of course, eroding the shorelines as well. Aggregate is the main constituent of concrete and asphalt. It's also the primary base material that concrete and asphalt are placed on during the building of roads, buildings, parking lots, runways, and other structures. A mile-long section of a single lane of an American interstate highway requires 38,000 tons of sand. Memo to the Army Corps. 
renew your New Yorker subscription. Let us try, ladies and gentlemen. The motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. And now, clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Andy the Adam didn't make it this week. Couldn't make the flight. Uh, actually, he was tossed off the off the plane. He was pulled, dragged off the plane by a uh, centrifuge. Food in Japan will be contaminated by low-level radioactivity for decades following the 2011 Fuk nuclear disaster, but not at a level which poses a serious risk to human health, according to new research. Scientists can predict with confidence what the effect of the Japanese disaster has had and will continue to have, thanks to a legacy of data on radioactive pollution in the environment after decades of nuclear testing worldwide. Well, thank goodness we did that. The exception to the relatively sunny outlook is wild food, such as mushrooms and game animals, where contamination remains high. And they, they taste gamey anyway. Deadline Seoul, South Korea's oldest nuclear reactor, the 40-year-old Cori Number 1, will halt operations tonight at midnight, becoming the country's first nuclear plant to close permanently as the country shifts towards natural gas and renewables. South Korea is the world's fifth largest consumer of nuclear energy. They could just ship it to the north. It's one of the few countries to export its technology. See what I'm saying? But a scandal over forged certificates for spare parts in 2012, as well as the Fook thing, have undermined public support for nuclear power. Another 11 of South Korea's 25 reactors are set to shut down in the next 15 years as they reach the end of their operating lives. It's unclear how many will be replaced by new ones. Since this one began operations in June of 1977. The reactor has generated enough electricity to meet the entire country's current demand for around 100 days. That can't be right, can it? That doesn't sound like... What a deal. Future accidental radiation releases at the largest U.S. site of waste from nuclear weapons production, Hanford, are likely following back-to-back emergency evacuations of workers last month in this, because aging infrastructure is breaking down. That's what a top Energy Department official at Hanford told the Associated Press. More mishaps likely there. Adding to that likelihood is inadequate government funding to quickly clean up the millions of gallons of toxic nuclear waste at the site, according to Doug Shoup, who runs the department's office at Hanford. Hanford has an annual budget of $2.3 billion for cleanup. Doug Shoup said it will cost at least $100 billion to clean up the toxic radioactive and chemical wastes on the site, which, as you know, produced a bunch of the plutonium for the U.S. nuclear arsenal. The infrastructure is not going to last long enough for the cleanup, he said. It will be another 50 years before it's all demolished. He made the comments after hundreds of Hanford workers were evacuated in May when the roof of a... Oh, you know about that story. More money would lead to a faster cleanup, Shoup said, but the proposed budget for next year includes a $120 million cut for Hanford. The official deadline for cleaning up Hanford is 2060. Shoup said so much infrastructure at the site is deteriorating that some facilities are not going to withstand that period of time. Said a Washington state legislator, every year that we don't have an earthquake has been just luck. Shoup said about half of the site is free of pollution, 
and parts of Hanford make up the new Manhattan Project National Historical Park. Half the site is free of pollution, but I'm not sure they know which half. Oh, visitors can learn about the, the development of atomic bomb. But Hanford's most dangerous contaminated waste has not been cleaned up, and the problems could become more serious in the future. A Japanese industrial group unveiled this week a swimming robot designed for underwater probes of damage from meltdowns at Fuk. They, said they plan to send the uh, probe into the primary containment vessel, Unit 3, to study the extent of damage and locate parts of metal, melted fuel thought to fall into the bottom of the chamber submerged by highly radioactive water. The robot is about the size of a loaf of bread, has lights, maneuvers with tail propellers, and collects data using two cameras and a dosimeter. The previous robots failed sooner than expected because they couldn't take the radiation. But the swimming robot... Six years after the Fuk nuclear disaster, Tokyo Electric Power, TEPCO, has gone from being a company that can't sell its bonds to one whose bonds are lapped up by investors seeking a bit of extra yield. It's a good investment now. TEPCO's bonds are worth buying for the simple reason, says a banker in Tokyo, that the government is backing it up. Is it a bailout or a subsidy? You be the judge. The Japan Atomic Energy Agency has acknowledged that flaws in its operating procedure for inspecting storage containers led to five workers being exposed to radiation earlier this month. The operating procedure was prepared last month. It describes inspection work as a routine measure. It never assumed radioactive substances could be spewed into the air because high-pressure gas is not handled. No preparations were made for such a scenario during the inspection uh, last week. Plastic wrapping inside a container was ripped, and radioactive substances, including plutonium, were released into the room. Five workers did, you know, followed the operating procedure, which said workers should use an unsealed operating space and wear half a face mask only. The operating procedure itself, which did not assume that plastic wrapping might be ripped, has problems, said the agency. And the Tennessee Valley Authority's Watts Bard nuclear unit, which went offline in March because of an equipment problem, will remain down until sometime this summer. And there are questions about the safety culture at the plant. Safety culture. Can you keep the place from blowing up while listening to Carmen? Clean, cheap, too, too cultured to meter. A friend, the Adam. <laughs>
From London, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. Well, airstrikes have caused a staggering loss of civilian life in recent months around the Islamic State's Syrian stronghold of Raqqa, according to a United Nations investigative body. Those damn Russians. Oh, no. These are airstrikes by the U.S.-led coalition. A U.S.-backed ground force entered the city with the help of coalition air raids last week. The chairman of the U.N. International Commission of Inquiry in Syria said, The coalition airstrikes have deepened the suffering in the city. We note in particular the intensification of airstrikes which have paved the ground for the coalition advance in Raqqa has resulted not only in the staggering loss of civilian life, but has led to 160,000 civilians fleeing their homes and becoming internally displaced, he told the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva. The commission recorded 300 civilian deaths from coalition airstrikes in Raqqa between March 1st and May 31st. Human rights and monitoring groups have warned for months of the rising human cost of the coalition's air war in Syria and Iraq. On March 22, the U.N. Commission recorded 200 civilian deaths at an old school building in the village of Mansoura that was sheltering displaced families from across the province. These figures, said the U.N. official, have been corroborated by multiple witnesses. The U.S. military said at the time it was aware of the reports and was opening an investigation. The activist group Raqqa is being slaughtered silently, monitoring violence in the province, provided the Washington Post with the names of 40 people who it said were killed at the school. They said the bodies of dozens more people without identification cards were believed to have been buried in mass graves. The Britain-based tracking group Air Wars 
puts the figure of uh, civilians killed by airstrikes at about more than 3,800 people in the last few months. Fatalities from coalition bombing raids now outnumber those caused by Moscow's warplanes. We're number one. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now news of AFAC. The United States is not winning the war against Taliban insurgents in Afghanistan. That's not me saying, well, it's me saying it because I'm talking on the radio, but I'm quoting Defense Secretary Jim Mattis in testimony to Congress this week. He promised to brief lawmakers on a new war strategy by mid-July that is widely expected to call for thousands more U.S. troops going to Afghanistan. Why didn't we think of that before? The remarks were a reminder of the gloom underscoring U.S. military assessments of the war between U.S.-backed Afghan government and the Taliban. It's classified by U.S. commanders as a stalemate despite almost 16 years of fighting. Mattis said he believed the Taliban were surging at the moment. Well, surges always work. Some U.S. officials question the benefit of sending more troops to Afghanistan because any politically palatable number would not be enough to turn the tide, much less create stability and security. The Afghan government is assessed by the U.S. military to control or influence just about, just a little more than half of Afghans, Afghanistan's territory as of February 20th, a nearly 11 percentage point decrease from the same time last year, according to the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan thing. Vice President, uh, oh, sorry, Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, told Fox News Radio the new strategy in Afghanistan is one he's very excited about. I've never been more proud of President Trump and his team than I am right now. He said the strategy will require U.S. forces to have more active engagement with the enemy than um, under President Obama. Every soldier over there is an insurance policy against another 9-11, said Graham. And Senator John McCain is also voicing optimism about the new U.S. strategy after meeting at the White House. They're finally moving forward, said McCain, after a meeting with uh, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster. McCain uh, praised the new policy. Well, that's how it looks over here. How does it look over there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, where your grants don't influence our coverage, unless you want them to. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, come for the bombings, stay for the food. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Slick and Slack, the Out of Power Brothers. <laughs> it's cars I talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Afghanistan Journalism Foundation. Mm. The best way to protect Afghani journalists is to get them out of Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, mm-hmm. it seems our soldiers are now attacking our American friends. Yes. Do you have any explanation for this tragic turn of events? Yes, my younger brother. Mm. There aren't enough Russians around anymore. 
that wasn't even funny enough for you to laugh at it. I was aiming more for pungent and poignant. That's strange. Those are the new hosts of Cooking Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, the Americans always talk about this being their longest war. Mm -hmm. But our war has been going on for twice as long, at least, against the Russians, against each other, against the Taliban. As a matter of fact, the war has been going on for so long... The Afmart stores have completely run out of yellow ribbons. Not that funny either. Uh, hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Uh, hello, this is uh, General Nicholson, longtime commander of coalition forces in Operation War is Over, second-time caller. General, we love the fact that you're taking time out from fighting season to call us up. I, I just hope this isn't another ammunition pledge drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, sir. The president uh, has told me personally that we're going to be getting so much ammo that, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting President Trump here, uh, you're going to be sick of ammo. Oh, that's exactly how I got out of serving in the army. Ammunition allergy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had made that up. I did not. My doctor did. <laughs> well, he went on to teach in an American medical school. Really? Yes. One of his students was President Trump's doctor. <laughs> but, 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 fellas, I'm, I'm calling with a serious purpose here today. Well, that's fine as long as you know you're in the wrong place. Please continue. <laughs> uh, uh, you gentlemen still have a lot of influence in this country. Well, he sells a lot of Toyotas, if that's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what your definition of a lot is. It's where you keep your Toyotas. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, pursuing my thought here, mm -hmm. uh, it just seems to me that you fellows could uh, put out the message to your countrymen uh, to not be going around targeting American military personnel. Uh, if that just discouraged one alienated young Afghan soldier from doing that. Uh, that would be 25% of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> and that's during tote bag week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, General, yes, sir. I think you have a good idea there. Uh, yes, you might also talk to a couple of the warlords, mm. like our friend Mr. Heck Matyar. Uh, he's uh, kind of been hard to reach, as a matter of fact. He has a show on the commercial talk station. I'm aware of that, uh, sir, but uh, if you'll pardon my friend, screeners and a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, if you're listening, Big if. don't target the American troops. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. American officials, that's another matter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Ah, uh, I don't envy him his job. Why? As long as he doesn't leak classified information to his mistress, mm -hmm. he's going to be viewed as better than Petraeus. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Hello, you're on Karzai Talk. Hello, this is John, senator from uh, Arizona. And this is Lindsay, longtime bachelor and senator from North Carolina. And we're, we're first-time first callers. Oh, you know, I have to admit, I'm very impressed. Really? Why? We've been two-timed by American senators before. <laughs> <laughs> you have to excuse my brother. The CIA's check bounced last month. <laughs> uh, well, look, fellas, I'm, I'm sure your folks are weary of war. Mm -hmm. Let me assure you that the American people are, too. In fact, the American people are so war-weary, by now they're even tired of ignoring the war. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> it is. Uh, but uh, we're calling with good news. Mm -hmm. This new administration, uh, we think, is going to roll out a policy for victory in your country. And we'd, we'd love you to join other Afghan thought leaders in uh, advocating for a victory policy. Mm -hmm. Ooh, they must have the wrong country. Mm. We don't even have thought followers. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we would love to, Senators, mm. but I would like to ask exactly what this victory policy consists of. I, 
I hope it's not just more foreign troops. Oh, uh, absolutely not. Mm. It's a, a full-spectrum policy. Uh, of course, there are going to be more American troops. Uh, we, we don't think of them as foreign. That's right. right. <laughs> but there'll be so much more. Ooh, like? Well, like support services for the troops, like troop transport. And, and of course, post-combat therapy for the troops. Just, a, just an all-of-the-above approach for a change. Mm-hmm. We think after years of taking baby steps... It's time to take off the training wheels and put the foot squarely on the accelerator. I don't know what vehicle he's talking about. Sounds like a traded in tundra. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks for sharing what you clearly think is good news. Well, we're, we're bombing over there, so we don't have to bomb over here. Mm. And, and, of course, uh, trying to push back on the big increase in opium production is part of our victory strategy as well. That's right. That's right. We'd like you, uh, Hamid, uh, to consider doing a, a 30 or 60-second uh, PSA for Afghanistan's official social media account uh, built around our, our new theme, Be a Squealer, Not a Dealer. Mm. I'm sure it rhymes in Pashto, too. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> that all sounds very ambitious, Senator. Well, uh, we we are ambitious people. But I do it, have one recommendation before you go forward with this victory policy. Oh, what's, what's that? Get this country an official social media account. <laughs> 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 Thanks for the call. <laughs> we had help today from the Afghan environment. Not for the arts, not for the humanities, for the endowment. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukem. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us next time we engage in cars I talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. A Rhode Island state lawmaker is apologizing after handouts he distributed included a screenshot of a web browser with pornographic sites open in other tabs, said Representative Ramon Perez. Democrat of Providence distributed handouts to members of the House Finance Committee in support of a bill that would create a fund to pay drivers who are involved in collisions with unlicensed drivers. The handouts included screenshots of a Wikipedia page for a similar law in Puerto Rico. Committee members soon noticed the browser in the screenshot included multiple other open tabs, some of which featured titles indicating pornographic content. The clerk quickly collected the offending handouts. Perez said in a since-deleted Facebook post the screenshot had been given to him by another person to help support his bill. He apologized for the mistake. He said he was extremely embarrassed by the incident. Now I think everyone is looking at me differently, he said. I've never dealt with a situation like this before. Some people were trying to help me. If somebody's to blame, it's me. It's my fault. I'm very sorry. He manned up. Dayline Buffalo, New York. Some fans told television station they waited hours to get into this weekend's Taste of Country concert that was last weekend's. The Buffalo Bisons and WYRK responded on social media with apologies. We apologize for the longer than usual wait times. This year the Bisons added metal detectors and searched bags which caused a bottleneck at the gates. Of course, there's no security problem with a bottleneck at the gates. More human remains have been found at a Duluth Road construction site a week after work was stopped and a day after state transportation officials apologized for desecrating Native American graves. The cultural resource director for the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council said investigators were called to the site to examine the the remains after they were spotted by someone walking through the area late Thursday. We can't say for sure if they're Native American remains. Work was halted on a portion of the highway construction project after members of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, there are those chip, that is that ch- name again, told state officials the area had a high potential of being an Indian burial f- site. We don't have a handle on how this all fell through the, crocs, uh, the cracks, said the project manager for the Minnesota Department of Transportation. This was a horrible, horrible thing, and it's Minnesota Department of Transportation's responsibility. The state transportation commissioner and other officials apologized to the tribal members and the residents of the small neighborhood. He felt it was a horrific thing that inadvertently happened and wanted everyone to know how sorry we were and they understood how deeply affected Native individuals and the band, that is to say the tribe, were by this. We're working to heal the wounds and move forward together. Let's all move forward together, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? Helen Zille, former leader of South Africa's main opposition Democratic Alliance, has publicly apologized for her tweets saying there were some positive aspects of colonialism. She said her comments a couple months ago were insensitive to South Africans. The row threatened her party's popularity, which is trying to extend its appeal among black people. She had tweeted colonialism was not just negative. For those claiming legacy of colonialism was only negative, think of our independent judiciary, transport infrastructure, piped water. And another one of a similar 
tone. The comments caused public outrage, forcing her to apologize at least three times. She said similar views appear in textbooks used in South African schools. After uh, trying to defend it, at a press conference, she said she uh, apologized unreservedly. Her statements, she said, were indefensible and insensitive to South Africans who suffered from colonial oppression. Better late, no, better never than late. Nigeria has apologized to Saudi Arabia after 200 tons of dates that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia sent as a Ramadan gift, or Ramadan gift, sorry, were found on sale in local markets. Dates are traditionally the first things Muslims eat when they break the Ramadan fast each evening. The dates were intended for people who had fled their homes because of the Boko Haram insurgency. Nigeria's foreign ministry said an investigation was underway. No arrests have yet been made. Outspoken fans of DC Comics objected to pretty much everything in the 1997 movie Batman and Robin. 20 years later, the director, Joel Schumacher, has offered a mea culpa. I want to apologize to every fan that was disappointed because I think I owe them that. A lot of it was my choice. No one was responsible for my mistakes but me, he said. But better late than ever, department. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, just one piece of news from Inspectors General. The federal government's efforts to tighten access to its most sensitive surveillance and hacking data after the leaks by Edward Snowden have fallen short, according to the uh, Inspector General for the Defense Department. The NSA has failed to consistently lock racks of servers storing highly classified data, and to secure data center machine rooms, according to the report. The report was completed last year and classified, made public in redacted form in response to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit by the New York Times. The agency also failed to meaningfully meaningfully reduce the number of officials and contractors who were empowered to download and transfer data that's top secret, as well as the number of privileged users who have greater power to access NSA's most sensitive computer systems. I've got that access. No, I had. I lost it. And it did not fully implement software to monitor what those users were doing. In all, the report concluded, while the post-Snowden initiative called Secure the Net had some success, it did not, did not fully meet the intent of decreasing the risk of insider threats to NSA operations and the ability of insiders to exfiltrate data. Which I guess, worse than outsiders infiltrating data. Here's the inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen. The net remains unsecured. 
And for those of you wondering, yes, this is London. That horrific building fire is um, very nearby, in view a lot. And um, today's independent newspaper reported that the borough council, that's the local government authority in that area, the richest one in England, by the way, Kensington and Chelsea, had built up a uh, hefty cash reserve, despite the fact that uh, it apparently insisted on cheaper, non-fireproof cladding for the building's recent refurbishment. But you know that rainy day fund? Maybe... I don't even think a rainy day would have put that fire out anything. But the response in the community has been really amazing. Would that the government acted likewise. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over... NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant, WBCQ The Planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, Ich bin ein Berliner, on Soho Radio in London, Ich bin ein Londoner, around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. I'm a dot org. Ich bin a dot order. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from SoundCloud Sideshow Network, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like going for the fireproof cladding next time. If you'd agree to join with me, then would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. The email address for this program, playlist of the music here in Iran, your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts. You can wear them for that big Fourth of July party. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Happy Father's Day, everyone. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, a flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London.